RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Time for our Health Hacks program this Monday morning here at RCR. It's been a few weeks uh, since we've had Dr. Glenn Davies of ReversalNZ.co.nz on the program. Glenn, great to see you again. Great to have you back. Yeah, thanks for inviting me back. I think it's been about a month, Paul. Oh, gosh, that long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, people will be wanting to get their fix of you, so... Um, it'll be like uh, uh, having uh, a, a big, big cool drink after a, a bit of a dry patch. All right. So this, this morning we are talking the prostate. That's right. So very important uh, organ uh, yeah. for males, well, for men's health. But I think it's also an important consideration for women because as men get older and the prostate gets larger, they're getting up all the time at night and um, waking their wives up. So, you know, it's it's not just a, a male issue. It seems to affect men and women. Yeah, I bet they're lying there thinking, oh, not again. Yeah, not yeah. Again. yeah. i got to be nice to them, but this broken <laughs> sleep. Um, okay, first question then. How, how regular is normal regular and uh, how many visits in the night is like, oh, okay, this is – Something's up or this is too many. Um, what's a, your line in the sand there? Well, great question. Well, um, to try and be a little bit scientific in answering your question, by the age of 60, 50% of men will have an enlarged prostate. Right. So by the age of 60, 50% of men will. I've just and turned 60. You, you have you? Yeah. Oh, well, I'm not far away from it. Um, a couple of weeks ago, so Okay. I'm already yeah. you've already got my attention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the the symptoms are the nocturia, which is the getting up at night. Yep. So what is normal, I think uh, once at night is normal. Yeah. Once you get to probably three or four times at night, I think that's abnormal. Okay. Not doing it. Uh, you okay. also look at the other symptoms as well. So during the daytime you'd have urinary frequency, but the other associated symptom is the urgency. So it's the, the combination of frequency and urgency. And also um, men comment that, um, you know, they used to be able to uh, pee over a fence uh, when they were younger and and, and now it's uh, more like a dribble. Okay. So that, um, that's the other main symptom. All right. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, where's the nearest fence? <laughs> we'll give that a go. All right. Hopefully so not a, hopefully not a six foot fence. <laughs> no, that's right. Just a little picket fence, maybe. Um, so, is it natural then for the prostate to enlarge? Is that just a, a normal thing in life? Yeah, it's 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 a good question because I think a lot of these things that we um, implicate with normal aging may not necessarily be uh, normal. Um, it's certainly usual. But, um, you know, is it normal to sort of fall apart as we get older? Um, uh, perhaps it is. Perhaps it's not. Um, I would like to hope that, um, you know, most of your organs and my organs uh, stay in normal working function uh, right yep. up to our 100th birthday. Yep. Though, you know, it's it hasn't been too long in the history of a, our species that we've been living this long in the numbers we are. So I guess yeah, that wouldn't true. have been so apparent in uh, earlier times. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, and but concerningly, I read a statistic that our children's generation may be the first generation that doesn't outlive their parents. 
So we may have actually, um, yeah, we may have actually turned an unfortunate corner there. You mean peak lifespan has been hit? Yeah, it's it's possible. I'm I'm not sure that we'll be able to say that definitely, you know, for another decade or so. But that is the concern. Okay, that's um that's an interesting one. All right, what's it um what's it designed to do? The prostate. It's quietly okay, well, sitting there. What, what's its role? Okay, so it's a it's a gland which is about the size of a walnut um, if it's not enlarged, and it sits at the base of the bladder and it surrounds the urethra, which is the tube that um, starts in the bladder and then goes to the outside. So, as if you, as you can imagine, if it's surrounding that tube, as the prostate expands there'll be pressure outwards, but there'll also be pressure inwards, and that can potentially compress the urethra, which means that the bladder has to generate a bigger pressure to to get the urine out. Um, And eventually, if it has to generate too much pressure, that can result in urinary retention and that the, the bladder can't generate enough pressure to fully empty. But you can understand how those symptoms of frequency, uh, nocturia, uh, reduced stream and urgency could all relate to that compression of the urethra. But your question, what's its job? I, I found this quite entertaining reading this. So the the prostate's um, main job is to make the fluid that the sperm um, exists in, you know. So, but when I was looking at that in a little bit more detail, it... Um, the PSA, which is the prostatic or the prostate specific antigen that we measure in the blood test, mm. its job is to activate the sperm to wake it up. And then the, the seminal fluid, it provides nutrients and energy for the sperm as they go on their incredibly long and arduous journey. Yeah. I guess at their scale, the distance is quite remarkable. I um I imagine it is, and I think they need energy, but it was interesting this um that little bit that they need to be woken up and activated. Yeah, like, they, they like hey, wake up. It's time. <laughs> We're ready to go. <laughs> let's <laughs> let's get ready. So how does it know? Was, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um and then there's another function outside of um the care of the sperm, uh, and that's to provide um an antibiotic or antimicrobials to for the health of the male urinary tract. Um and also there's a function in managing urine um, urine flow, so partial a function in terms of preventing you from wetting yourself, I, I guess. Oh, okay, well, that's handy. So you might have heard that some men, after they've had their prostate removed, uh, have difficulty uh, with uh, urinary incontinence. So, so that's its additional role uh, in supporting the bladder function. So a multi-role, what we call it, an organ, don't we? I think so, yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay. Why does it enlarge? Yeah, I I was thinking about uh, this. I actually thought this was going to be a very easy topic to, to talk yeah. about until yeah. I started um, delving in a little bit. My, my theory, um, and this is supported by some evidence, but we've talked a lot on the show about insulin resistance and mm. um, the fact that we're over-consuming sugar and processed carbohydrates, which pushes up insulin levels. 
Insulin seems to be one of the main growth factors for the prostate. And I suspect it's the insulin resistance, which is part of diabetes and Alzheimer's and okay. cancer, as we've talked about a lot. I think it's also responsible for the growth of the prostate. Now, that might not be the only factor, but I think it's the the main or one of the main factors anyway. So I think it's our lifestyle and our diet, um, particularly the consumption of sugar and processed carbohydrates that is the main cause. And what what would the mechanism be there um, that, that, you know, that sort of consumption leads to an enlargement? Uh, what, yeah, what, it's... Um, what would that be? Uh, the the insulin's a growth factor. It's a, yep. like a growth hormone, so that oh, would okay. be part yep. of it. But I think um, your prostate gets fat like um, oh. like other organs of the body, like the liver. So I think when we're over-consuming carbohydrates and the liver's turning it into fat, I think some of that fat is transported to the prostate. And I think this benign prostatic hypertrophy is a fat prostate. Is that like fatty prostate? Like fatty yeah, liver or something? We have fatty liver and we have fatty pancreas. I think we have a fatty prostate. And the the reason I'm saying that is we we see all the time in the work that I'm doing is as men correct their insulin resistance, for yep. example, with a ketogenic diet, and they lose that abdominal fat, their, their urinary function improves. Okay. Wow. Hmm. All right. Um, so when does it turn nasty? It, it, what has enlarging got to do with it becoming next-level problem? Yeah. So I think think of them – the prostate cancer and the benign prostatic hypertrophy as separate conditions. Although yep. in saying that, I think the causation, uh, they'll have, you know, common causality, but they're sort of separate conditions. And that's where it gets a little bit confusing in terms of screening. So we use the PSA, which is the prostatic or prostate specific antigen as the main screening test for prostate cancer. So that's the blood test that you'll get when you ask for prostate screening. Yep. Unfortunately, it's not specific to prostate cancer because a larger prostate produces more PSA as well. It's basically, if you think the amount of PSA produced per cc of prostate volume, as the prostate increases in volume, so does the PSA. So unfortunately, it's not... The PSA is not specific for prostate cancer. It also picks up the benign prostatic hypertrophy. But if there's a um, common sort of overlapping cause to it, you're still improving your odds of detection, right? And that's kind of screening. Yeah. Yes, you are. Although it would be ideal if we had a specific test for prostate cancer, you know, because one of the, the big you know how I said uh, this was a bigger topic than I had anticipated. It's yep. a huge topic, um, prostate screening. So if we could perhaps uh, go on to that and then we'll we'll come back. We'll circle so, back. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So there's sort of two parts to the prostate, prostate screening. There's the PSA blood test. And then there's the part that um, most men uh, don't look forward to. That's so we have digital, a laugh about. Yeah, that one. Yeah. The digital rectal examination. Yep. Um, so one of the questions I was asking myself preparing for this is, is a PSA without the digital rectal examination sufficient for screening? But unfortunately, about um, 14 
17%, sorry, 17%, one in seven prostate cancers are missed if you just do the PSA. Oh, okay. Um, yep. Yeah, 17% don't produce PSA. So the the best thing to do is to have the digital rectal examination as well. However, I would say if the choice is by, you know, having the digital rectal examination or not getting screening at all, you know, you've still got an 83% chance of picking up the prostate cancer if you have the blood test alone. So, you know, right. I think it's a reasonable decision for men to say, well, I'll have the blood test, um, but not the finger up the bum. Um, you're going to miss 17% on that if you have that scenario. i got to ask, for someone who has to do that, <laughs> what are you going to ask me? What are you going to? What, what are you question? thinking there? Like, oh no, 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 no not another one. Uh, but it, no, you know, it's for the best, no. and I suppose you see it from a clinical angle. You see it from a clinical point of view, and and you get used to it. It's more the uncomfortableness of the um of the client. You know, you you're aware that you know that's not something that they necessarily do every day, but you know, it's an, it's a uh, a usual occurrence for doctors. We sort of get used to it. But um, yep. any you know, training for it? Do you have to do training? Or? Yeah, well, actually, there are artificial models um, at medical school um, because I guess there's not a lot of people that, that volunteer <laughs> for the, the training session. So um, yeah, no, there is yeah. a, a model, and, um, and you do get – quite skilled at feeling the difference between a normal and an abnormal prostate. Yeah, so what is the um what does the difference feel like? Is it uh, obviously it's at large is it sort of a bit gnarly feeling, is it? It doesn't feel right? Yeah. Well, your typical if you were to feel a an area of prostate cancer, kind of imagine a um a little piece of scoria within a um, you know, a smooth surface. Oh, uh, right. Yeah. But it's not often that obvious it could be a difference in the the firmness of an area you know a hard and hard area and the rest of the prostate feeling sort of less firm yeah and and in fairness we do usually do it in conjunction with the PSA so you're getting both pieces of information yeah well that sounds like the thing to do so it must be a bit of a uh uh-oh when you kind of feel that yeah although you've often have the high PSA result and you're sort of anticipating it. Oh, right. Okay. All right. So at what point is it all over with prostate cancer? I've known a few friends who've had prostate cancer. Um, Both the the ones I'm thinking are um, are still alive, but they had to have quite, uh, you know, a full-on treatment at the time. Sort of took them out for a bit, but seemed to come through. Uh, Of course, there are the famous... You know, I'm thinking of Paul Holmes and people like that who actually eventually killed them. So obviously there's a line you cross where you've something you can do about it um, versus, uh, uh uh-oh. Yeah, so I think um, it's really around the aggressiveness of prostate cancer. Now, the majority of prostate cancers are not aggressive cancers, and that's why there's so much complexity in the question of screening because – most cancers which are picked up in older men, say after the age of 70 or 80, tend to be non-aggressive cancers which they will live with for the rest of their life and um, they will die of something else. But the cancers which occur in younger men uh, tend or can be more aggressive and by aggressive they will grow more quickly but the concern is that they metastasize which means they spread 
and they can spread particularly to the bones. So prostate cancer tends to spread to the bones. Why is that? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. No, don't know the reason. Because you think it would be proximity of other organs would sort of cop it first, but uh, yeah. Well, so you've got you've got your local spread and then your systemic spread, meaning it's spread through the lymphatics or the blood. So that that wider spread is the spread to the bones. The local spread will be to the surrounding um, lymph nodes or surrounding organs. Yeah, yeah. So for older men, it's a slow-growing cancer. Is it like sort of Usually. glacial? Yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's why the prostate screening is quite complex because – the advice is that you stop prostate screening around the age of 70. Now, it's not a, an absolute cutoff, but if you're anticipating about a decade of remaining life, you probably don't, you're probably going to, there's probably going to be more harm from picking up that prostate cancer in a 71-year-old um, than benefit from treating it. Yeah. However, if you're anticipating um, good health between 70 and 100, then you would still continue the screening and probably treat it. It depends sort of on your anticipated lifespan, but about a decade, um, because they're more likely to be slow growing, um, it's unlikely to cause you any problems within that decade if you're over 70. So the, the instructions are that you screen between the ages of 50 and 70, but those aren't, aren't fixed rules, that's a guide. If you have prostate cancer in your family um, and direct um, relatives, you might start at the age of 40. So it may be between 40 and 70 or 40 and 80, that that kind of frame. But 50 to 70 is the, the strict, stricter advice. Okay. Um, here's another question. Is regular sex good for the prostate? Like a I workout, like exercise? Well, I think it is. Um because I was reading that segment that said one of the roles of the prostate is to provide an antimicrobial um, fluid, hmm. which um, is useful for the health of the male genital tract. So, yes, I think it is. But you do bring up a, an interesting um, side topic there. Before you have your PSA test, it's advisable uh, not to have ridden a cycle, ridden a bicycle recently, right. and to have sta- have abstained from sex for a couple of days because the PSA level will be higher after riding a bike and higher after having sex. So probably a couple of days between those two activities and, um, and having your PSA test. So all those mad cyclists I see on the cycle way outside of me probably got very high PSA when they get off their bikes, right? Um, higher, yes, oh, hi. uh, higher okay. levels. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am. Um, I'm not sure how exactly how high it makes it, but combination of cycling and sex together would probably push the PSA out. I don't mean like exactly together. I mean on the same day. Yeah, on the same day. Never have sex and cycle on the same day. <laughs> Absolutely, okay, no. that's good advice. All right. So, um, if um, if you were to well, it's, I mean, this diet's one thing. Is there anything specific that you can eat, consume, or whatever to to prevent? Yeah, so that's a really good question, Paul. The, the um, uh, uh, what are we going? We're talking about the, the nutrient, lycopene is its name. Oh, okay. And um, yep. it's, it supports prostate health. 
uh, and it comes in cooked tomatoes, not in raw tomatoes. So cooked oh. tomatoes, interestingly. So lycopene is uh, one of the things that supports prostate health. Um, antioxidants do. So we're talking about particularly our vitamin C. The omega-3s, um, so our fish oils, that tends to also support uh, prostate health. Um, and then maintaining a, a healthy body weight and doing some regular exercise. Okay, if you if you get that bad news and um, you're in an age group where it's worth treating, what are you likely, what, what is the treatment regime likely to be? Yeah, so two separate conditions. So shall we start with the benign prostatic hypertrophy? Okay, so yeah, the, yeah. The non-cancerous enlargement. Yeah. So the first, the place I usually start is with a herbal medicine, which is called saw pimento saw pimento and that relaxes the prostate and lets the urine come out more easily uh, and then there's a pharmaceutical version of that which is um, the one we commonly prescribe is called doxazacin uh, it's a an alpha blocker it relaxes smooth muscle so it relaxes the muscular component of the prostate and makes it easier for the urine to come out yep does one work um, better than the other uh, i've never seen a comparison i I generally start with the herbal treatment and then right, move um, to the progress to the pharmaceutical. I've, but it'll be interesting to see a direct comparison. I've never seen that. Okay. And then um, the TERP, which stands for transurethral resection of the prostate or a TERP. So um, an instrument is put um, up through the penis, up through the urethra, and they basically will core out the center of the prostate, leaving the um, the shell behind. Gee. The reason for that is that the nerves which control erectile dysfunction are in the sort of the capsule of the prostate. So if you remove the whole prostate, then you can potentially damage those nerves. Whereas right. if you're just coring out the central part, um, imagine one of those um, apple corers. I'm not wanting to make any um, men sort of um, cringe Wind here, but one yeah. of those apple corers that takes the core out, um, just picture that. It's actually probably a bit more sophisticated than that. It's used I'm thinking as, of those uh, rail tunneling machines. Yes, something like that. Um, it's actually a Holmium laser that's, uh, that's huh? used, but I think the effect is similar to your your tunneling machine. And, right. that, um, and that's a, an appropriate treatment for the benign condition because okay. it doesn't matter if you're leaving does that the outside does behind. it then shrink down after that is that what happens or, or no it tends to that hole is maintained so okay so but of course you know as we were talking before the prostate has some role in continence when you've taken the center out of the prostate there is a period of time where where urinary continence is not as good does your system kind of retrain itself, does it? Yeah. Yeah, most uh, most of the time the continence issues are just transient. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then the, so the that. prostate yeah. cancer is where mm. we go to next. Um, and, and then, you know, that that whole topic is usually looked after by specialists, but there is an interesting um, question around do we have an MRI scan or do we go – straight to a biopsy, biopsy meaning taking a piece of the prostate. And there seems to be quite a lot of movement towards doing an MRI scan first because that's allowing the 
urologist to get some information about the aggressiveness of the cancer and gives the option of using this watchful waiting approach Whereas if um, the thought is that it's a non-aggressive cancer, there might be the option of um, not doing anything too aggressive. Right. Yeah, I think one of my uh, old mates who who was treated had some radioactive thing yeah. put in the which zone. Really clever. There are radioactive beads which are, yeah. uh, are shot into the um, prostate uh, and they can kill prostate cancer with just local radiation. Because you know with external beam radiation, the, the concern is the collateral damage. Yeah. You know, if you're trying to focus the majority of the radiation onto the prostate, but you do get damage to the surrounding yeah. Um, yeah. tissues. So putting the beads into the prostate themselves, hopefully the radiation is contained within the prostate, the prostate cancer is killed without damaging any of the tissues around it. Yeah. Quite clever. Seemed to work for him. Yeah, very clever option. Probably about 10 years ago, yeah. And then um, we've got the option of um, surgery, radiation, uh, but sometimes if the prostate has, sorry, if the prostate cancer has escaped, we get into hormone blockade because testosterone and um, dihydrotestosterone, which is a more potent testosterone that the testosterone is converted into, they can both be blocked by some hormone blockers. And even men with advanced cancer where the prostate cancer has spread to the bones, these hormone blockers can be hugely effective in um, controlling that metastatic prostate disease. Okay. Well, there's a bit of hope. Yeah, so, you know, it, it's a really complex condition. I won't focus too much on the treatment of prostate cancer because, um, you know, there's quite a, a clear pathway if that actually occurs. I yeah. think it's more important that we're, you know, getting some understanding about prostate cancer and making men aware that the prostate screening is a, um, is a useful idea, um, but realise there's some discussion around that topic um, and probably the main message would be if you're between the ages of 50 and 70, get your prostate screening done. Um, if you've got prostate cancer in your family, you might want to start at uh, 40. And if you're a, a very well 80-year-old anticipating living to 100, you might still want to get prostate screening done. Right. Yeah, okay, but um, the urgency sort of goes out of it at that end of life potentially yeah 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 that's about right yeah, yeah. all right otherwise you're coming in with with your zimmer frame to do the the digit test and that could be a little bit of a, a mission <laughs> all right yeah, yeah. um anything else we need to know about prostates at this point glenn um let me think is there a final word on um prostates yeah i think i think we've pretty much um covered the prostate um yeah, yeah so yeah yeah i guess it's maybe the final word is um just going back to that idea that you know what we do for preventing diabetes what we do to keep our heart healthy what we do to keep our brain healthy is also what we do to keep our um, prostate healthy which is to eat well um, do some regular exercise uh, avoid sugar avoid most of that horrible stuff that comes in a packet, um, eat 
healthy food that comes from the garden and the the farm. Yeah. It all comes back to that in the end, doesn't it? Inescapable. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think people that have been listening to our show will will recognise the recurrent theme yeah. here. And, you know, doing that lifestyle stuff, which we all know we should be doing, but we don't always get around to, is the key to maintaining health. And we do it every day. That's the thing. If you do it every day, do you've it got every to do day, it every day. And you don't stop doing it just because you're getting a bit older. You know, yeah. like keep keep the walking, the jogging, a few precepts going. Well, where, where are the two-minute noodles? <laughs> I'm sure I had some here somewhere. All right, Glenn, nice to have you back. Thanks so much. That was really interesting. And um, if anybody dropped in that part way, it'll be in the replays to listen to in full. And uh, hopefully it won't be too long before we catch up again, Glenn. All right. Well, um, I've missed you, Paul, um, and missed, missed you in too. the show. So it's nice to be back. Yeah, no, good to have you back. And uh, I'm sure our audience are delighted as well. So uh, we'll talk again soon. Dr. Glenn Davies of reversalnz.co.nz. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.